It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. It's July 17, 2014. This is the Virtual Bible Study. We're live, and we're glad you're with us tonight. Uh, my name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Good to be back with you tonight. Jacob, great to be with you. Looking forward to an uh, uh, I think an important, uh, hopefully an informative study tonight. Uh, yes, I'm looking forward to it. This is the Virtual Bible Study, and we welcome your comments, questions, and we welcome them via email at questions at collegeview.com, over the phones, 877-381-4567, and in the chat room to the bottom of your video feed. Sign in there and chat with other listeners tonight on an important subject. Well, first, before we get to before our subject, to, because they are related, they we, wanna, quite nicely. we want to talk about uh, an important upcoming event that we've got scheduled here in Columbia, Tennessee, next Monday and Tuesday night. That'll be Janu- uh, July 21st and 22nd. July yeah. 21st and 22nd, next Monday and Tuesday mm-hmm. night, right here in Columbia, Tennessee. We're going to have a special event. We're just calling it a community Bible study. Uh, the, okay. the event's going to be held at a public uh, facility, a well-known building here in Columbia, the Memorial Building, which is just two blocks west of the downtown square. Uh, easy to find if you're in the Middle Tennessee area, if you're within a driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee. We hope you come and join us next Monday, Tuesday night at seven o'clock. Um, we're gonna ha- we're gonna have a two-night study on the subject of homosexuality. Big time in the news. It's, we hear about it all the time. I Florida mean, it, today. Did you hear that? They no. struck down the same-sex marriage ban for parts of the state. It's 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 falling like dominoes in uh, in the country. Yeah, uh, it, it, we we are hearing about it constantly. We're gonna our, our guest speaker for this special session. These two special sessions is going to be Kevin Clark. Kevin's an attorney from Birmingham, Alabama. He's well studied on these subjects from both a biblical point of view from a from a legal point of view, yeah. and uh, he's very knowledgeable about these recent court rulings and so forth. And so. As I've talked with him about his plans to present this material to us next Monday and Tuesday night, he suggests that on Monday night we're going to really key in on what the Bible says, what God has revealed in his will about uh, homosexuality. And then on Tuesday night, which I'm especially looking forward to Tuesday night, he's going to talk about how should we as Christians relate and deal with this topic in, in this age in which it is so readily accepted we've been taught to be very tolerant and so forth how should we conduct ourselves as christians in in regards to the subject of homosexuality so it's monday and tuesday night at the memorial building in columbia tennessee again if you're within a driving distance i i do not think you'll be sorry for the time invested to come if you need more directions or information on how to get to the memorial building you can give us a call or send us an email questions at collegeu.com we can provide you with directions um we'll look forward to seeing you if you can find columbia tennessee you can find the memorial building very easy to find We've had some requests for those who are not in driving distance to stream that, and we may work on that. We, that, uh, we'll have we to may or may not be able to stream it, but we will we be recording it. That. Yeah. 
We will be recording. We can podcast it, if nothing else, uh, for you on our podcast feed. So you'll want to be there for that. Uh, Jack uh, heard this morning reported uh, on the radio about 3% of the population are homosexual, according to uh, the statistics. Uh, But uh, they're very vocal. You would think it's 30% or or more. Yeah, uh, they're very vocal. So we need to be prepared to know what the Bible teaches on the subject. I agree. It's a shame that um, 3% of the population has done so much, you know, to make this a, uh, a point that uh, has, has really um, been forefront. In, in yeah, a lot of we it. didn't even introduce you, Jack. Jack yeah, Coleman Jack's, Jack's uh, controls, uh, running our control board tonight. You know, I think if you ask if, – if, if a person hadn't heard that statistics, I, I think probably a lot of people have heard the statistics, only 2 or 3% of the U.S. population is, is homosexual – if you hadn't heard that statistic, but you'd heard all the coverage in the news and everything, I think you would guess, man, it must be 30, 40, 50 percent of the U.S. population is homosexual because that's what we're hearing about it all the time. It's a very small minority of people, but they are very vocal, and therefore we are forced to answer. And we're not prejudiced. We don't have any uh, uh, bad feelings towards those who are homosexual. We love them. We want uh, We want the best for them, and that includes uh, submitting your life to God and his will. Um, and, to be uh, saved eternally. To be saved eternally. Um, and uh, so uh, we, we we love the homosexual, but we cannot uh, condone their activities. No more than we can condone the activities of the adulterer, uh, the one who divorces his wife on, without lawful cause and marries another. We don't condone that any more than we condone those who are engaged in homosexuality. Yeah. We're going to, okay, so let's segue into what we want to talk about tonight, Jacob. We're going to be reviewing. Jim has missed the, the announcement. He came in late to class tonight, Jim. We'll repeat it as we go along in the program. Jim, we're having a special session at the Memorial Building in Columbia Monday and Tuesday night. That's we're right. calling it a community Bible study. On homosexuality. He, Jim is, he's almost within driving distance, Jim. So if you want to come down, 7 yeah. o'clock, uh, Monday and Tuesday, July 20th, 21st, we'll talk about it as we go along in the program tonight. Yeah. Now, the, what we're going to do topic tonight the topic tonight we, we we're going to review some arguments made on a website in def, I, I, I think i call it a failed attempt to justify homosexuality like from that. the bible i like that uh now, the website is and we put this in our update you know here's a good chance for us to plug our our update we send out midday on thursdays the topic for discussion and give you some questions to be considering and give us feedback uh, our questions all are dealing with the arguments made on this website, www.wouldjesusdiscriminate.com. Yeah. Now think about that. The argument is that those who oppose homosexuality are guilty of discrimination. Yeah. You know, and discrimination is a really bad thing. Yeah. You know, black people were discriminated against for years and that was a horrible thing we and we all acknowledge now that that was wrong we should have never have done that the homosexuals are trying to grab onto that victim status and say well we're being discriminated against like the blacks used to be mm-hmm. discriminated against or maybe still are in some places obviously yeah. still yeah. discriminated against uh, i want to tell you black people should be enraged at that comparison yeah th- th- that's just not fair at all Uh, We could get a group of adulterers together and and form a website, Would Jesus Discriminate Against Adulterers? How about bank robbers? Or bank robbers. Or, or, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, Bigamist. Drunkards. Drunkards. Would Jesus discriminate? It's not a question of discrimination. It's a question of what is identified in the Word of God as sinful behavior. And and so, you know, really the very very 
internet address of this website, wouldjesusdiscriminate.com, is off-putting because it suggests that the only reason that you would oppose homosexuality is because it's a question of discrimination. Yeah. And it's not. It's yeah. simply not. We're not discriminating against homosexuals any more than any and and then any we don't discriminate against that sin more than any other all right and so the website goes on and presents eight arguments from the scriptures now there were not too many years ago it would have been very uh, uh, surprising that anyone would go to the scriptures to tie and justify homosexuality it was assumed that if if you were going to go to uh, practice that then you would basically throw the bible out the window i don't know if you remember uh back in i think around 2001 uh, we had a debate in Nashville uh, where uh, Pat Donahue debated a preacher, and it was outlandish at the time, just 13 years ago, that someone would go to the Bible to try and justify homosexuality. But now it's become common. It's so common that major denominations are going to the Bible and justifying homosexuality and saying it's okay. Yeah. So we've got to be prepared to know what the arguments are uh, so we can answer them. Yeah, and so we thought this would really sort of be a good precursor to our study on Monday and Tuesday night uh, here in Columbia. And so we're going to look at these arguments. We're not going to read them ahead of time. We'll just take them one by one and comment. Uh, we got an email from our friend Brad in North Alabama who said, before we get to these questions, he says, I have a couple of observations. He says the, 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 the essay that we're going to be analyzing tonight starts out by saying, as we grapple with this question, he says, I don't know about you, but I saw no grappling with the question. The last half of the very same sentence goes on to assert that there are homosexually condoning passages. As I read the page, I saw a great deal of grappling with the Bible, but no real grappling with the question at all. The author very clearly came to the question with his mind made up. All right, there's a danger there, and we're seeing it happen on a lot of different subjects, not just this subject. People come to the Scriptures with uh, a, a predisposition, wanting to prove it. And so when they look at the, the Bible, you can read the Bible with your predisposition in mind, yeah, and you I've can heard, twist. I've, all the my life, I've heard preachers say you can prove anything you want from the Bible if you want to twist the scriptures. If you want to twist them and come to them with that, and so yeah, that's good. Hey, uh, Brad goes on to say uh, we w- we find this presupposition to be the root of every single argument that he makes. Uh, one must approach every passage cited and inject meaning that is not found in the text itself in order to find support for no condemnation of. Homosexuality. I think Brad's observation is good All right. and right. So, again, we sent out this link. If you got our uh, update email, that link is in the email. Or if you did not, you can go to this wouldjesusdiscriminate.com slash biblical underscore evidence dot html. Okay. Uh, so that's where you would find that if you want to look at it. We're going to read what this fellow says on the website and just try to deal with his arguments. Right. So let's take the first one. All right, the first argument. I had not heard this one before. The first argument is Jesus affirmed a gay couple, and he references Matthew 8, 5 through 13. Okay. And in that passage, uh, Jesus did a a miracle of healing, Mm -hmm. and and I think most will remember that it was the case of a centurion Mm -hmm. who, he he says, uh, Matthew 8, verse 5, then Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Uh, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered, said, Lord, I'm not worthy, and so on. But anyway, Jesus heals this servant of the centurion. Mm Mm-hmm. The argument made on the webpage is the Greek word that the Roman centurion uses in this passage to describe the sick man, pais, pais, P-A-I-S, if you want to transliterate it, 
into English letters. Uh, pais is the same word used in ancient Greek to refer to same gender parties. Wow. And so uh, he's, what this guy is arguing is that the centurion comes to Jesus and says, my, my, uh, my homosexual partner is sick. And I want you to heal him. Mm-hmm. And Jesus did without condemning the relationship. Now, I mean, just just reading that, just reading that uh, in, in a quick cursory way. Would you ever come to that conclusion reading that text? Absolutely not. And uh, and Jesus's actions don't have if it if the word carried that meaning, Jesus's actions don't have to does, don't by implication uh, condone it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would uh, if if someone uh, if there was a, someone homosexual that was uh, ill and I could do something to, to help that person, I would today yeah. uh, without condoning their activities. Yeah. In other words, I mean, he condoned a lot of. I mean, he he raised sinners all uh, help sinners all the time. He wasn't condoning their sinfulness. If for, if for every he person he healed was a sinner, yeah, right? Every person he healed was a sinner, and the fact that he healed them does not mean that he was condoning their oh, sin. It's okay. I, I I just heal them. It's okay if they're sinning. But but, but, but the word doesn't mean that. It's a stretch. Now it yeah. can. I, I did I did quite a bit of reading about that word, and it can mean there there are references in secular literature where that word was used to describe right. that. Uh, here's what one man said: In some instances. Instances in secular literature, pais was used to describe the junior partner in a homosexual relationship, but that's not its exclusive or even prevalent meaning. Mm-hmm. It cannot be confirmed that it means that here nor anywhere else in the New Testament. The Greek noun pais is used in the New Testament 24 times and has a range of meanings that include adolescent, child, and servant. Mm-hmm. In the Septuagint, which of course is the Greek translation Uh, translating the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. It appears numerous times, and it always refers to a servant. There are no occurrences of the term anywhere in the Bible that can be unquestionably or even likely interpreted as referring to the junior partner partner in a homosexual relationship. Mm. And so uh, here is uh, someone pressing i mean wouldn't you have wouldn't you agree that that this is a, a real grasping at straws sure to try and get that into that text yeah you're trying to force that view into there and certainly doesn't uh, doesn't carry that meaning brad says uh, the word simply does not carry the necessary meaning of a homosexual partner the same word refers to Eutychus in acts 20 verse 12 and to Jairus's daughter in Luke 8:51, there is no indication that either one of them is homosexual. Yeah, and as we, as we said, the the word is used 24 times in the New Testament, numerous times in the Old Testament, and uh, it just doesn't convey that meaning. Um, 877-381-4567, You want to uh, comment tonight? But I would go back even. I mean, even if you were to grant, although I, I don't think you. I think it may be a mistake to grant that the word means that. But even if you were to grant that, what Jesus did in this does, would not constitute a, a condoning of the act. Exactly. Uh, as we said, every person that Jesus healed was a sinner of one sort or another. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he healed them did not condone their sinfulness. Uh, that wasn't the purpose of the miracles. The miracles were to reveal him as the Son of God and to confirm his identity as the Savior. But uh, this... Even if you grant it, I think it would be a huge mistake to grant that meaning of the word. But even if you did, it, you, you'd have to stretch it even further to say Jesus was condoning the act of homosexuality by healing uh, 
that survey. We're going to take a break, and when we get back, here's a precursor to what we're going to talk about, uh, well, uh, our preview. Uh, the second one that he points out here in this article, Ruth loves Naomi as Adam loved Eve, and the references of Genesis 2.24, Ruth 1.14, and then Jesus said some people are born gay. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 through 12. So let us know your thoughts on those. We'll get a break and we'll get uh, on with the discussion on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hello, everyone. I'm Britt Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The best use of life is to spend it for something that outlasts it. Associate yourself with people of good quality, for it is better to be alone than in bad company. What is not started will never get finished. We usually admire the other fellow more after we have tried to do his job. There are some whose faith is not strong enough to bring them to services, but they expect it to take them to heaven. Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Back on the program talking about failed attempts to justify homosexuality from the scriptures. We do not believe the Bible condones this activity, this behavior. We're looking at scriptures that some mistakenly try to use to justify the behavior. Before the break, we mentioned uh, the author points out that Ruth loved Naomi as Adam loved Eve. Yeah, hang on just a minute. Back up. Jim in the chat room says... If you're going to use that logic, that because Jesus healed the servant of the centurion, that if it was a homosexual relationship, he was condoning it. Jim agrees, I think, with what we were arguing. He says, by their logic, any time that Jesus healed someone, it must have been, it must be then that Jesus condoned their sin. In this sense, since Jesus died to forgive all of our sins, he must also at the same time condone all of our sins. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's exactly right, Jim. I agree. All right. Okay. All right, now let's go to this Ruth-Naomi thing. Let me read to you the little fuller context of how this fellow argues this. He says, Ruth loved Naomi as Adam loved Eve. He references Genesis 2.24 and Ruth 1.14. The same Hebrew word that is used in Genesis 2.24 to describe how Adam felt about Eve and how spouses are supposed to feel toward each other is used in Ruth 1.14 to describe how Ruth felt about Naomi. Her feelings are celebrated, not condemned. And throughout Christian history, Ruth's vow to Naomi has been used to illustrate the nature of the marriage covenant. These words are often read at Christian wedding ceremonies and used in sermons to illustrate the ideal love that spouses should have for one another. The fact that these words were originally spoken by one woman to another tells us a lot about how God feels about same-gender relationships. Mm -mm -mm. 
the right. word, the word that he's talking about. He never even did identified the word. The word is cleave. Genesis 2.24, therefore uh, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Yeah. The, the word is cleave there. Ruth 1.14, they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Yeah. So what does that word mean, and does it suggest a sexual relationship at all? It, it really doesn't. The... the um, the Hebrew word, according to the lexicons, means to cling, to stick, to stay close, to cleave, to keep close, to stick to, to stick with, to follow closely, to join to, to overtake, to catch. Yep. Nothing uh, sexual there. In fact, uh, the word is used in uh, uh, with regards to things that are not uh, human relationships. Yeah, exactly. Um, the word is it's a common word in the Old Testament. It's found mm-hmm. 50, 54 times in the Old Testament. And it just means what we just the the meaning is what we just suggested to glue to be glued to to adhere to. Uh, for instance, here's a usage of it: Joshua twenty three verse eight. 20, Joshua twenty three eight. But cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done this day. There's nothing sexual about that. That doesn't mean hold on to him, stay close. Yeah, uh, and uh, Deuteronomy twenty-eight verse twenty-one: The Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee, and he will. Uh, so here's until a, he has as a punishment: the yeah. sickness was going to hang on there. Yep, yeah, same verse twenty, uh, verse sixty of Deuteronomy twenty-eight: uh, that the, the, the pestilences and these evil things and diseases were going to cleave to him, stick to him, and Adam's was to stick to Eve. Uh, Ruth we've, and Naomi when we've talked about together, when we've talked about Adam and Eve, the cleave to his wife, we've said, you know, that's sort of like the old superglue commercial, right? You know, you, you, it binds so tightly that you can't separate them without harming both parts that have and, been joined uh, together. And that's not the sexual relationship there; that's the uh, the close relationship they're supposed to have. Husband wife. Yeah, yeah. Now here, okay, I, I came up with one, Jacob, on this. Here's another place where the word is used. Now remember, what this guy is suggesting is that the word cleave implies a sexual relationship, mm-hmm. that it meant that between Adam and Eve, and therefore it had to mean that between Ruth and Naomi. Mm-hmm. Same book, Ruth, chapter 2, verse 21. Oh. Uh, Ruth had been out to Boaz's field, you know, and he treated her kindly, and then she came back and reported to Naomi. Yeah. And Ruth the Moabite said, He said to me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. The word keep fast is the same word that's translated cleave in Genesis 2.24. So are we to take that to mean that Boaz was saying to Ruth, you have sex with my young men until the harvest is finished? Yeah. Obviously not. No. And and so that's that's just a crazy uh, attempt to to latch on to a word yep. and suggest that it conveys some kind of a sexual connotation when it obviously doesn't. As Brad mentioned, to go into the Bible with the presupposition trying to prove uh, what the Bible does not uh, does not show. And and uh, Brad said in an email to us about this question of Ruth, uh, he says Ruth had already married a man, Naomi's son, Malon, and he references Ruth one verse four. She would marry another man, Boaz, later in the account, chapter 4, verse 13. She was therefore not a homosexual. And, and so he says uh, it's about devotion, not about romantic or sexual love. Yeah. Very good observation, Brad. I think exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that's, the, that's the amazing thing. We're supposed to believe that Ruth was 
a lesbian, a, a, and she was attracted to Naomi, who was obviously old enough to be her mother, but she had previously been married to Naomi's son. Later, she was going to marry uh, uh, one of Naomi's male relatives. The idea that she was a homosexual is just crazy. I mean, you, how could you read it that way? It doesn't. There's no in, in the, the passage. They lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clave to her. They they stuck together. They yeah. were they were close in this difficult time. Yeah. Nothing sexual there. It's unbelievable how some will go to the scriptures with this bias. Yeah. All right. All right. We probably better grab another one here real quickly. Yeah, we should. Uh, another argument made, and we're putting two of their arguments together here because they both deal the same thing. He, uh, the man who wrote this, he never identifies himself by name, but the copyright is the Jesus Metropolitan Community Church. The website is wouldjesusdiscriminate.com. Here's another argument he makes. Jesus said some men are, no, Jesus, Jesus said some are born gay, and he references Matthew 19, verses 10 through 12. Here Jesus refers to, quote, eunuchs who have been so from birth, unquote. This terminology, born eunuchs, was used in the ancient world to refer to homosexual men. Jesus indicates that being a born eunuch is a gift from God. And then he goes on to say, the early church (laughs) welcomed a gay man, Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. In the ancient world, eunuchs were widely associated with homosexuality. Here, of course, he's talking about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, beginning verse 26. He says, here, a self-avowed eunuch is welcomed in the early church without any concerns about his sexual orientation. He was welcomed on the same basis as other people, his faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. So he is affirming that the Ethiopian eunuch was, without question apparently, a homosexual, and that this expression in Matthew 19, eunuchs who have been so from birth or born eunuchs, it was was a reference to homosexual men. What are we going to say about that? Well, I think it murders the context. Uh, that's not uh, the, the point of the scriptures. The, the point of the, the passage there is uh, to, to abstain from sexual relations, not to be engaged in them. Um, uh, so, again, they're going with this presupposition uh, to uh, prove their case. I, I, I did some more reading about this one, Jacob, because this one I, I thought you know maybe deserved a little more attention. He's trying to latch on to a word that at least has some reference to to uh, uh, sexuality, I guess, of a person. Uh, but he, here's what three standard theological and lexical works of the Old and New Testament: the New, the New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology, Kittle's Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, and the International Dictionary of Old Testament Theology and Exegesis. All state the standard historical understanding of the word "unique" is of a castrated man used as a harem guard. None of these works implied the word could be used to describe a person disposed to homosexual persuasion. Yeah. This is of a novel, modern invention. Unbelievable. So, I mean, the the authorities say that's not what that word means. Let's just look at the context again. Jesus is given the instructions about divorce and remarriage. His his, uh, disciples said to him, verse 10, if such is the case of, of, of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. So that Jesus gives this this strict regulation about divorce and remarriage. The disciples say, "Oh wow, well it'd be better not to marry." And so if we're to, if we're to take this uh, person's interpretation on this, where Jesus said, "Well, some are eunuchs are born that way," so Jesus said, "Well, no, don't don't get married. Just be homosexual instead." Yeah, yeah. Get this. Uh, read that now in in um, Matthew chapter nineteen. 
the, the verses that he's referencing here, Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 through 12, his disciples said to him, now remember, in the verses just preceding, he'd been asked a question about divorce. And so the context is of men marrying and divorcing women. Mm-hmm. And, and so at the end of that discussion, verse 10, his disciples said unto him, if the case of a man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said to them, all men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. There are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be some eunuchs which be made themselves, which have made themselves eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. So if we're to believe this word eunuch means homosexual, Jesus was saying there are some homosexuals who were born that way from their mother's womb. And there are some homosexuals which were made homosexuals of, by men. And there are homosexuals which have made themselves homosexuals. Notice, for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Yeah. He that is able to receive it. How would becoming a homosexual be of a benefit to the kingdom? Right. Why would that, why would that even fit the description of, of those words? Uh, uh, Brad, I think, has really nailed this. He's written a little bit more. He says, eunuchs were emasculated, not homosexual. Again, the word simply did not mean what they say it meant. Thayer's first definition of the word is bedkeeper or bed guard in the palace of an oriental monarch who, who had numerous wives. One can see why a monarch would want an emasculated man in this position. A eunuch would not be subject to the temptation to take sexual advantage of the king's wives over whom he had some authority. Regarding the author's insistence that eunuchs born thus from their mother's womb refers to men born homosexuals, this interpretation is forced in a big way. Number one, why would Jesus answer the Pharisees' question about marriage and divorce by talking about homosexuality? Second, it does not fit that someone would become a homosexual for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Nothing anywhere in Scripture indicates that turning to homosexuality is is the preferred option for any reason. Finally, given that he is essentially telling the Pharisees that there are situations in which they are not allowed to remarry, celibacy is the only logical thing Jesus could be talking about. Therefore, eunuchs made so by men are, pre, uh, are previously intact men who have been emasculated. Eunuchs at birth are men who were born with some deformity. And eunuchs for the kingdom's sake are men who are intact but who's, who choose celibacy, such as Paul did, in order to work in the kingdom or to comply with Jesus' teaching here in the event of an unscriptural divorce. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that Brad has really nailed that. Thank you, Brad. Uh, now... There is, if we got time here a minute. No, you're, you're pushing it, but go ahead. There are a couple of references that the homosexuals like to reference the the church. You know, you, you get this title, church fathers, and the, the, the writings of the church fathers. They're talking about some uninspired secular writings of men who came after the apostolic age, usually second, third gener, uh, uh, century writers. Clement of Alexandria is a famous one if you're if you're referencing the church fathers, um, and they like to do this. Uh, and and they the references are 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 serious attempts uh, to pervert even the writings of Clement. Now Clement wouldn't prove whether it was right or wrong, right? But I, just just for point of reference. Uh, be sure to know that if you hear them, I'm not going to read these; they're longer quotes. But if you if you hear them reading from Clement of Alexandria and saying that he, uh, here's a a church father who's endorsing homosexuality, be warned ahead of time that those are 
quotes taken out of context and are a direct misuse of what Clements was saying. Okay. All right. That, that Again, not that it would prove anything, right. but uh, they're taking those out of context. Okay. We're going to take a break, and when we get back, Jack, you know, it sounds like uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 is being fulfilled right in front of our eyes. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they itch themselves, teachers having itching ears. Uh, they've got they, they got itching ears. And, you know, I imagine all it takes is the mention of a Bible verse, and they don't even stop to consider if it's if it's right. You know, I want to justify it. And so, oh, he said a Bible verse justifies it, so I'm okay. Without, uh, without going to the Scriptures to find out if, in, indeed, the Scriptures do condone it. We're going to take a break, and we'll take this week's bullet point. Get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. God is omnipotent, which literally means that he is all-powerful. Sometimes we express this idea by saying that there is nothing that God cannot do. That statement, though, can lead to certain difficulties. For example, Hebrews 6 verse 18 says that it was impossible for God to lie. Here we have something that God cannot do. Hebrews 13.5 gives God's promise to his faithful children. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Again, this is a thing that God cannot do. He cannot desert his own. James 1 verse 13 tells us that, quote, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. To tempt or be tempted is contrary to the very nature of God. With these things in mind, we can be more specific in describing God's omnipotence. God has the power to do everything that is in harmony with his basic nature and his expressed will, but he can never do anything that would contradict his promises or violate his holy and just character. Often when discussing the subject of miracles, we reference certain scriptures that show no miracles are being performed today. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning verse 8. Sometimes someone will object by saying that such a view limits God and that God can do anything. These statements expose a misunderstanding of God's power. He is limited. There are some things that he cannot do, such as perform miracles. But we are not the ones who limit God. He has limited himself. He has taught us in his word that he will not do these things in our time. Let us praise and honor our God. He has the power to do all things that are according to his will. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. We want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And now is a good time to remind you. We'll try and remind you again at the program about the special uh, series of meetings we're having on Monday and Tuesday night of next week, July 21st and 22nd at the Memorial Building in Columbia, Tennessee, 7 o'clock on the subject of homosexuality. If you need more information or directions, Send an email to questions at collegeview.com. In the chat room, Jim is a lonely chatter tonight. Jim from Kentucky is chatting, but no one's talking back. But he does make a good point Don't take it personally, Jim. Yeah. Uh, Jim says, another example of where the homosexual agenda determines not just to prove that God accepts homosexuals, but that he actually prefers them. If being a eunuch means homosexual, and that's a gift from God, what other conclusion can be drawn? You know, and that's what the guy said, that that he said, being born a eunuch is a gift from God. I think he did take it personally. He left the chat room. He's is gone. he gone? Is he gone? He's gone. Oh, well. Oh, well, well he got tired of talking to himself. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Maybe his wife took him to get some treatment for that problem. <laughs> All right, go ahead. All right. So 
the next one that we want to talk about is um, one of the ones that I think probably most people have heard. This is a pretty common one. David loved Jonathan more yeah. than women. Second Samuel chapter one verse twenty six. At Jonathan's funeral, David declares that he loved Jonathan more than any woman. This is just one of the several Bible passages that describe and celebrate an intense love between these two men that went well beyond friendship. Mm-hmm. And of course, what he's saying is that they were homosexual lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's several way to several ways to go about that, but one that I would use is. To simply say, I have no doubt in my mind that David, King David, was a heterosexual. Oh, yeah? I mean, what, what's one of the episodes that David was most famous for? David was most famous for the for the sin with Bathsheba. Yeah, that would have been he after had, this point. He had yeah. multiple wives. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, it just is mind-boggling me to... But, yeah. To, to suggest that David was a homosexual. Okay. I mean that that just that just seems clear uh, and without question. All right. Let's look at you Brad's know, explanation. Well, I would just offer this. You know, that his love for for Jonathan was stronger than love for a woman is is just an expression. You know, uh, if I were uh, I was describing a young man the other day who helped me with some wood chopping chores, and I said he is stronger than an ox. Well, that's just an expression. Of degree, just an just an exaggerated expression to, to describe a, a fellow's strength, and so I think that's what we got here with David describing his love for Jonathan. It was it, he had an incredible love for Jonathan. He was he had a deep devoted love for Jonathan. He really cared for Jonathan. And why but to have, suggest that that involved a sexual component is just not there. Why do we have to see something sexual every time we see the word love? Yeah. Uh, and uh, well, I like Brad's take on. It. He says this poem by David is full of hyperbole. Saul and Jonathan were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. In verse twenty-three, uh, Saul clothed daughters of Israel. Okay. Now he's to, get what Brad's saying there. This was at a, in a funeral address. In right. which he was praising Saul and Jonathan, who are now dead. Mm-hmm. And he says they're swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. Mm-hmm. And Saul clothed daughters of Israel with scarlet, gold, and luxury, verse 24. Not to be irreverent, but if Saul and Jonathan had been swifter than eagles and stronger than lions, they would not have been dead. And certainly not every woman in Israel was arrayed in scarlet and gold. Clearly David is expressing his affection for Jonathan in hyperbole. Hyperbole is a is a extreme exaggeration yeah. of exaggeration to emphasis for mm-hmm. emphasis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so again, I think that that's a real stretch. Um, so that that verse, Second Samuel one twenty six. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. But notice what Jonathan had said about toward concerning his devotion to David. If you go back to First Samuel, First Samuel 18, beginning verse one, it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him. And gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and his bow and his girdle. So again, this this deep love and strong kinship between Jonathan and David was had been of long standing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he Jonathan said it says of Jonathan he loved him as he loved his own soul. Is, are we to, to imagine that that? conveys a sexual component as well? I don't think so. I guess if you've got this uh, presupposition, you would, but there's nothing to indicate that. Yeah. All All right. right.
next. All right. Before we go to that, I, I want to throw it to Jack. Jack, you, you had a conversation with someone who uh, I think it was an email or a texting conversation with someone who knew about our upcoming event uh, and and suggested that, you know, probably we don't know what we're talking about. Go ahead and, and explain that. Yeah. Uh, they just simply uh, had a comment when they saw the post that um, here Again, we have, learning about our upcoming event. Learning about our upcoming meeting. Um, uh, on Facebook, um, mm-hmm. they made the comment that, well, here we go. We're going to have a heterosexual bunch of heterosexuals, bunch of heterosexuals together talking about homosexuals or about uh, you know a, a, an altered a, lifestyle and indicating or giving the impression that what do you guys even know? About you don't, you don't You're know. You're talking anything. about something you don't even know about. Yeah. And uh, you know, um, I just simply said that that was a, a supposition on their part that they didn't know, but there were people would be in the audience that did have an understanding. And had had even spoken with and had very close relationships uh, with uh, homosexuals, and and were trying to talk with them, help them. So there there are people that are going to be in the audience that have that understanding. But that, that argument is kind of faulty because that means then, I think you were saying before that to um, uh, what was it? How did you uh, I, I said uh, well, the, 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 the parallel to that would be is I can't condemn drug abuse yes, if I've never exactly. used drugs. Right, right. Uh, or I, I can't. Or you can't even talk about it when I can't, yeah, I can't talk yeah. about because you don't know anything about that. And right? it, it right. also assumes that everyone who may have been tempted along those lines has given into those temptations and is engaging in that behavior. And that's what the, the homosexual community would like you to believe that if you have those feelings, you're homosexual. That's not the case. There may be people in the audience. Uh, who are uh, who have dealt with that temptation and overcome it yeah. uh, as the scriptures but, but would even uh, if instruct. even if we didn't the fact of the matter is we do not have to have experienced every sin before we can speak about that exactly sin. You know, I've never murdered a man but I can say murder is a sin how can you, you that's just here we go again yeah. so again, yeah. uh, again there's some, some real you know I, I think we're accused, Jack, I think we're accused of being prejudiced against homosexuals. And I hope we're not. And I think it'll come out in our study next week that we're not, we haven't got a, a prejudice against uh, homosexuals at all. And I think, if anything, it may be on their part that they are prejudiced, making prejudged determinations of us. Well, I think there's a thought. Uh, I talked to the, a guy today about this, and I think there's a thought that we. Um, that we don't aren't loving or caring, and, and I tried to stress it, it's not the the person, it's the behavior that's being done. It's, it's the it's a behavior that is uh, spoken of, uh, spoken against in God's word, and and that's all we're looking at. And we're we're not we don't we don't not love someone who chooses those makes those choices. We on the contrary, we love them very much, and we want them. That's what we're having a study in exactly. hopes that we can teach and educate. Same exactly. way we do with any sin. Yes, other and that, that's right. And someone else had said the same thing. Well, are you guys, what do you feel about adultery and about lying? Well, we feel the same way. We, we hate you know, it. We hate it, and we've spoken about those things. Right. It's our job, as Paul said in Acts 20, 26, 27, to declare the full counsel of God. That's what we're trying to do. Exactly right. right. Exactly right. right. And we don't, have any, we don't have any acts to grind. We, uh, we, we just, the scriptures are against it, and so we got to, we've got yeah. to be. You know, that's let's, it. Let's go real quickly and get one more here before the break, and then we're going to have to hurry to the end of the hour. Another argument made on the website, WouldJesusDiscriminate.com, he says, Idol worship and rejection of God, Romans 1, beginning verse 21. I think many will be familiar with Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Paul was describing the pagan Gentile world and the things that they were involved in. And he says, in these verses, of course, I think if you wanted to find a New Testament condemnation of the sin of homosexuality, it would be hard to find a plainer one 
Then Romans chapter 1, um, verse 26, beginning for this God, cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into mm-hmm. that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. Mm-hmm. Now, his explanation of this is, in these verses, he says, Paul condemns idol worshipers and God-haters. According to Paul, these God-haters experiment with gay sex only as a way of seeking new thrills or in cultic worship. Clearly, he is not speaking about innately gay and lesbian people who love God and want to honor God while living with integrity as who they are. In other words, he says he he's not denying that homosexual, uh, homosexual acts are being described in this text, but he's saying it's only that those acts, when done as a form of idol worship or pagan worship, cult, cultic worship, or as a sign of that you hate God and you're rebelling against God. Okay. Uh, well, in fact, they did. Uh, they did. It does appear there was some idolatry here in uh, verse 23. Uh, but you notice what that God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor themselves, their bodies among themselves. So that, that, the idolatry and what they were doing are two separate things here. God gave them up to that uh, that sin as a result of their rejection of God. Yeah, and and there's a whole list of other sins that they were also guilty of in verse 29. Uh, they were filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, yep. whispers, right. backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them. All, uh, yes, we agree that the pagan Gentile world was given to idolatry and paganism, but uh, that's not to say that only in the context of pagan idolatrous worship would those sins be condemned. In yeah, other words, but, would it, it, a person who was not an idol worshiper would it be okay for him to commit fornication? Right. A person who was not an idol worshiper, would it be all right for him to be disobedient to parents? Or a backbiter. Or a backbiter. Uh, would it be okay for a person, as long as it wasn't done in the context of idol worshiper, would it be okay to be a murderer? Yeah. No. I mean, uh, the sin, certainly the context is describing pagan Gentiles, and we know that they definitely were involved in idol worship. But to say that, therefore, only in the context of idol worship does the context condemn anything is just wrong. Yeah. Furthermore, in verse 26, uh, the women uh, have exchanged uh, the natural use for what is against nature. So it's God not says natural. it's against nature. And verse 27, likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the women, burning the us one for another, men with men committing what is shameful. So it's against nature and it's shameful to act. Do you know the homosexuals would say for a for for a person who has that orientation, it's not unnatural. It's natural, but the text says it's unnatural. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay, we're gonna take our last break, and then we gotta hurry. We got three more Brad, arguments. Uh, Brad says there's no proof anyone is born homosexual. Someone turns to homosexuality without or in spite of godly teaching to remain holy. Hey, we got to go fast when we get back. We have three more arguments to cover. Thank you, Brad. And we'll get your comments on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study goes to the top of the hour right after this. 
Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the Virtual Bible Study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study. You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Alcohol is the drug of choice for Americans' youth and teens. Almost three-quarters, that is 72.5% of high school students, have had a drink. Four in ten, that's 41.8%, are current drinkers. Nearly 10% of all teenage drinkers indulge in binge drinking, defined as having five or more drinks in a row. Teens are influenced by advertising, parents, and their friends, and this has a great effect on whether or not they will engage in drinking and at what age they will start. That information is via the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse. The Word of God says in Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program, going to the top of the hour, and we're averaging slightly less than two points per uh, segment here, and we've got three to go now, so we're going to have to really step it up. Okay, real quick. Uh, at this website, wouldjesusdiscriminate.com, the argument is made concerning the condemnations of homosexual conduct in Leviticus 18 and 20, Israel's holiness guide. Mm -hmm. In other words, in the book of Leviticus, there's some plain statements condemning homosexuality. Uh, There's just no doubt about it. Uh, Chapter 18, chapter 20, very specific about a man lying with a man uh, and so forth. Uh, he sa- but this guy says the chapters that contain these verses are clearly identified as speaking against practices involved in cultic idol worship. The entire passages are generally accepted as not applying to modern Christian life. We understand this is the law of Moses. We live under the law of Christ in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. But to dismiss all that is said in, in Leviticus 18 and 19 um, is certainly wrong to say that it's only condemned again in the context of idol worship um, because for for instance uh, uh well here's the here for instance is the verses they're very they're very clear uh leviticus eighteen twenty two thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind it is abomination mm-hmm. all right mm-hmm. so but he says that that condemnation of that homosexual act, I mean, that's clearly describing a homosexual act. He's saying it's only condemned because it is those things were associated with 
cultic idol worship. Well, now, wait a minute. In the same chapter, go back in Leviticus 18, verse 6, none of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of thy father or the nakedness of thy mother shalt thou not uncover. She is thy mother. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of thy father's wife thou shalt not uncover. It is thy father's nakedness. The nakedness of thy sister, the daughter of thy father or the daughter of thy mother, whether she be born at home or so thou shalt not uncover. So it's talking about incest there, right? Right. Well, is in, uh, well, if the argument is true that Leviticus 18 is only condemning homosexuality in the context of idol worship, that homosexuality is okay, generally, just so long as it's not an act done in, in cultic idol worship, well, then what about incest? You'd have to say the same thing about incest. Incest is okay as long as it's not being done as a pagan act. Would wouldn't, wouldn't that be true? You would think. It, it would have to be so. Yeah. And I, then you could say the same thing over in chapter 20 and... Anyway, we, we're short on time, but th- that argument just fails badly. All right? All right. Uh, let's look at what Brad says. He has an interesting point. He says, I do not argue that Leviticus 18 and 20 are the reason why we should not practice uh, homosexuality today. We do not either, Brad, but it does show that God did have... Uh, yeah, I think that's a major point. It. That wouldn't be our main argument about it's not. against homosexuality. But it does show it's a time, right. uh, time you know, throughout time God has had this view. Um, and nevertheless, God did not attribute the Canaanites' abominations to religion. He simply condemned them as abominable and uh, forbade Israel to walk in their footsteps. Not every bad behavior in the Old Testament had to do with idolatry. An atheist could not or could practice incest, which was also condemned in Leviticus 18, as you pointed out, Dad, and it would not make it right simply because he was not practicing it as a pagan ritual. Interesting. Yeah, I think exactly right. Right Thank on, you, Brad. Brad. Right on. Okay, uh, let's move quickly on to the next one. The next one is Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody knows about Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19. He, this guy says, the Genesis 19 account of Sodom and Gomorrah is a story of attempted gang rape of two outsiders. Mm-hmm. It says nothing about loving gay relationships and actually condemns the sort of violence sometimes done to gays and lesbians. Let's stop there for a minute because you've got another passage you want to consider too. Okay. Um, so the only thing wrong with Sodom in Genesis 19 is that that, it, that that they were trying to gang rape those two messengers of God who had come into the city. Uh, but it wasn't condemning homosexuality. It was just condemning attempted gang rape. Yeah. Was that what they're famous for? You know, uh, the word sodomite is found five times in the Old Testament. Every reference to a sodomite in the Old Testament is only a reference to someone who tries to be involved in a gang rape. Mm, I don't so. think so. But here's what's interesting. The sin of Sodom, before the, now, the episode that he's talking about is in Genesis 19. Go back to Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, verse 20, the messengers told Abraham that Sodom was going to be punished because, notice, Genesis 18:20, the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous. What was their sin? Were they, if it was gang rape, were they famous for gang rape in Sodom? Even before those messengers got there and before the city was destroyed? In other words, the the sin of Sodom was very grievous before those two guys got there, two angels actually, got to Sodom. The sin was well known and was very grievous. What was the sin? Oh, it was the sin of gang rape. No, it was the sin of homosexuality. And it, and uh, the, chapter 19 shows just how depraved they had gotten that when 
these men came, they saw them uh, as, yeah, uh, as I mean, that future fails partners. Badly. So. What's Brad, say? Brad says, the men of Sodom did not know that the men were angels. They burned in their lust for men, strange flesh, according to June. That's why they were condemned. Now, the other verse that, the other verse that he has that he raises a question about is Jude seven. And mm-hmm. now this was a this was a new one to me, and I I, I, I just never heard this before. It's talking about verse six, Jude verse six. The angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the day of judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. He says that uh, Jude 7 talks about a first century Jewish legend that the women of Sodom had sex with male angels. Since it's about heterosexual sex between angels and humans, it clearly Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with gay relationships. I, I don't know how I don't know how he's reading that. He talks about angels, verse six. Then he makes another. In other words, what he's showing is that God punishes. Uh, he says in verse five, "I'll put you in remembrance." Uh, you know, in other words, these are reminders, and he reminds them about angels who kept not their first state. Then he reminds them of Sodom and Gomorrah. Talks about their fornication, which is sexual sin, and specifically identifies that as going after strange flesh. I don't know where he gets this. I mean, there may be some legend, some Jewish legend of the first century, but that's not what Jude was. Jude wasn't writing about legends. He was ta- he was writing about actual events. If it was legends, what is it? What what's what's he teaching against? If it's just uh, some kind of fable, you know, Paul yeah. Bunyan or something, yeah. what does that yeah. teach us? That, that I'm a little I'm still in doubt about how that Jude seven argument okay. plays right. out. Okay. Real quickly, the last one. Brad is, says the men of Sodom did not know that the men were angels. They burned in their lust for men, strange flesh, according to Jude. That's why they were condemned. Jude seven talks about no such thing. Again, the author imposes the interpretation from outside the text rather than extracting Jude's meaning from the text. All right, and then finally, the last one is from uh, the arguments from First Corinthians six verses nine through ten and First Timothy one verse ten. Now the, again, really plain passages condemning. Homosexuality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, beginning, it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the King James uses the, in the right at the end of verse 9, the effeminate and the abusers of themselves of mankind. The author of this website says the words translated effeminate and homosexual in these passages are obscure and difficult to translate. I guess they would be really? if you have an agenda. Well, I, I just did a quick search. Here's eight Bible translations, and apparently the translators didn't have any difficulty translating it. They translated as male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, homosexuals, sodomites, effeminate, homosexuals, effeminate, abusers of themselves of mankind, effeminate, abusers of themselves of mankind, effeminate, nor homosexuals, immoral, uh, sex perverts, and homosexuals. Yeah. I don't think, it doesn't seem like the translators had a big lot of trouble translating those words. No. Uh, and then the other verse is 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 says, For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, if there be any other thing, that which is contrary to sound doctrine. Again, he says those are obscure words, hard to translate. 
Well, I got eight Bible translations here that translate it. Perverts, sodomites, homosexuals, them that defile themselves with mankind, abusers of themselves with men, homosexuals, sodomites, and homosexuals. Doesn't seem like the translators had a big lot of trouble translating that. You know, those statements are so plain that the best he can come up with is to say that those are those are obscure words hard to translate. Well, hmm. that that's if that's the best answer he's got, I don't think it's a very good answer because it all of the all of the wordsmiths, the ones who know what words mean, understand the meaning of those words and translate them as such. Brad says genuine Greek scholars understand the word translated effeminate as a reference to homosexuality. It apparently wasn't a euphemism. The Greek word variously translated homosexual or sodomite in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, is a compound word for, of the Greek words for male and coitus, despite the claim of ambi- ambiguity. The word is really quite unequivocal, a man who beds males. Very clear. Very right, clear. Thank you, Brad. All right, and uh, in time. the chat room, Rick says, men need to remember when God instituted the marriage relationship in Eden, he gave to man a help meet suitable for him. That helped meet for the man was the woman, not another man. God then charged them to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. The homosexual relationship makes this impossible. Yet, if it is right, it would be okay for everyone to be a homosexual in a homosexual relationship. This would mean the destruction of humanity in almost or in one at most two generations. So, uh, Rick uh, makes a good point there, and uh, we need to reiterate the fact that we uh, do not have any animosity towards those who may be engaged in this sin currently. Uh, we do have uh, hope for you that you would uh, uh, submit your life to the gospel of Christ and do like those in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and repent of uh, the unlawful and unscriptural and sinful activity. Um, and uh, we love you, and uh, we want that for you. We want the best for you because uh, uh, God has given us rules that we must live by. We're out of time, Jacob, but we want to rem- remind everyone one more time, next Monday, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, Memorial Building, Columbia, Tennessee, if you can come, you will not be sorry to invest the time to come and join us in a study of this important topic. 7 o'clock, July 21st and 22nd of 2014, Memorial Building. Find out more by giving us an email if you have questions, questions at collegeview.com. Jack, thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate uh, your participation on the program. Thank you. And uh, thank you for listening. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.